Good afternoon. So today we'd like to continue the exploration of equanimity that we began this morning. Equanimity being that highly skillful quality of heart and mind and a very powerful resource that supports us to stay steady and present and non-reactive through all the inevitable ups and downs of experience. And again, just a reminder that this non-reactivity is not non-responsiveness. So it's not about somehow trying to make ourselves into a dull, inert lump of stone. It's not about squashing our natural recognition of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, or clamping down on the beginnings of liking and disliking. But it's more about making space for whatever our experience is without either suppressing it or feeding reactivity to it. So you can get the sense it can be a a delicate balance at times. But as I mentioned this morning, all of you have already been cultivating quite some degree of equanimity already. Just evidenced by the fact you're still here. That in itself is evidence of a pretty strong equanimity, capacity to be with the ups and downs. So in terms of our insight practice, equanimity arises naturally from the development of the six previous factors of awakening, namely mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, samadhi, all steadying and stabilizing and deepening into equanimity. And again, as I mentioned this morning, equanimity can also be cultivated as a Brahma-Vahara practice. So in terms of this metaphor of the two wings to awakening, in some ways equanimity is the hinge between the two. It's the seventh of the seven awakening factors. It's the fourth of the four Brahma-Vihara. And so what I'd like to do now is look at ways of cultivating equanimity as a Brahma-Vihara practice. And traditionally, the way this is done is similar to the other Brahma-Vihara by silently reciting phrases that are intended to invoke this quality of balance. And generally, these phrases are about opening to and accepting the truth of how things are, rather than how we may want them to be or prefer them to be or wish they were. And they often invoke the truth of impermanence or change. So just to give you some examples from Western insight teachers. Jack Cornfield's phrase is, May I learn to see the arising and passing of all things with equanimity and balance. Or Sharon Salzberg, May I be undisturbed by the comings and goings of events. Or Kamala Masters, May I accept and open to how it is right now, because this is how it is right now. And what I appreciate about Kamala's phrase is how she says, this is how it is right now. So she's pointing to the truth that everything changes. So it's not just a sort of resigned, apathetic, oh, this is just how it is. But it's more, this is how it is right now. 
and by implication, it will change. Maybe not in the time frame we'd like, but it will definitely change. And that's how we approach equanimity generally, by remembering the truth of impermanence. We can also orient to equanimity in relation to other people when we do this Brahma-Vihara practice. And here the phrases have a slightly different emphasis. So, for example, Sharon's phrase, I wish you happiness, but cannot make your choices for you. And this is pointing to the relationship between equanimity and the understanding of karma. Very simple, basic definition of karma. The natural law that whatever actions we do intentionally will have harmful or beneficial results depending on the mind state that motivated those actions. So actions rooted in unwholesome mind states will bring unwholesome results. And actions rooted in wholesome mind states will bring wholesome results. This is a very simple definition to get us started. Because in terms of equanimity, it's pointing to our own and other people's happiness is a result of our intentional actions. In other words, everyone's responsible for their own reactions. And we have limited ability to affect, influence how someone else's life will unfold. An understanding that this is a natural law can help us not get quite so personally invested or caught up in situations that we can't really control. And when we're not so caught up, we're able to have this quality of equanimity, of peace of mind. And it's this that I'd like to focus on as we explore our relationship with others. And particularly those others, those people that tend to challenge our equanimity in some way. So in a few moments, I'll offer another guided meditation. And this time we'll be working with a new category of person, the so-called difficult person. So remembering that in the Vasudhimaga style of instructions, this gradual training starts with where the Brahma-Vihara comes most easily, and then it gradually brings in slightly more challenging categories of people. And I've been starting us off relatively simply, so mostly we've been working with the so-called easy beings, ourselves, good friends, benefactors. So today I'm going to raise the bar a little bit and invite us to work with the category of the difficult person, or more accurately, a person we're currently having some difficulties with. (laughs) Because we don't want to solidify them into that eternally difficult person. It's just someone we currently have challenges with. But it will be a bit of a mouthful to say that in the instruction. So I may use the term difficult person as shorthand. And we want to keep in mind that all of these categories can be fluid. So for example... The category of good friends. Sometimes we start working with a good friend and we start to recognize some resentment there. So we might want to put that person in the more (laughs) difficult category for a while and then hopefully later they can be rehabilitated. (laughs) So just a few suggestions for working with this category. 
Because by definition, the difficult person is difficult. They're in that category. They're in that category because there have been some challenges with them, some unpleasant experiences and interactions. So again, the suggestion is to work with an easy, difficult person, if that's not too much of a contradiction. So not your ex-partner that you've been in a custody battle with for 10 years, or an estranged family member that hasn't spoken to you for 20 years. Try to find a relatively less difficult person, but someone where there's just a bit of resistance or reactivity. And because this is a training, this is not cheating. We're gradually building the muscle until we can work with those more intensely problematic people and situations. And it's really important not to force this process. We're not trying to blast through our defenses or minimize the truth of any harm that may have been done to us. We want to to explore this gently. And if at any time it feels forced or painful, then let it go. You may need to change to self-compassion for a while or appreciation that you were willing to give it a go. Come back to mindfulness of breathing and then maybe later on try again. So when we work with this difficult person, it can be helpful to remember that simple pithy statement that hurt people hurt people. In other words, people who have been hurt tend to hurt others if they have no mindfulness. The corollary of that is that healed people heal people. And in many ways, that's the process that we're going through here, healing our own hurts so we have more capacity to support others too. So when we come to the difficult person, can we just keep in mind that underneath their irritating or frustrating personality habits, there may well be some kind of hurt or suffering, and their difficult behavior might be a reflection of that. And if we can touch that, it might make compassion, if not equanimity itself, more available to us. Having a sense of humor is also a huge support to this practice, just not taking things quite so personally. And even just being able to acknowledge there are difficult people in our lives. And I do like to check, is that true? Does anyone here have no clue what I'm talking about and has no idea who they might work with? I can't see everyone, but I'm not seeing any raised hands. So yeah, we all have challenges. And one area of our lives where we tend to often get more likely to get caught is in relation to people who are very close to us. It's amazing what definite agendas we can have for our partners and our family members and our children and our parents and our close friends, how they should be, who they should be, how their lives should unfold. But even the Buddha couldn't change other people's lives for them. So who are we to think that we can do that for other people? Now, of course, it's natural we want other people to be happy But if our wish for their happiness hardens into an expectation or an agenda of some kind, 
it's often going to cause us and maybe the other person too quite a bit of suffering. So in the next meditation, I invite you to explore equanimity in relation to someone that you care about, but where there's some desire to be in control, some kind of stickiness or some kind of agenda for things to be different. And so I'll call this the sticky person rather than the difficult person. And I'll give you some of the phrases, and as you hear them, just see if someone that that seems to fit comes into mind. So a traditional set of phrases, I care about you, but I cannot live your life for you. Your happiness or unhappiness depends upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. So those are some standard phrases. And it's not about sitting there telling them your happiness depends upon your actions. It's more a reminder for we ourselves. Oh yeah, your happiness depends upon your actions. I can't actually live your life for you. So we can simplify that to I wish you well, but I can't change how your life unfolds. So maybe someone's coming to mind that that feels relevant for. And then we can just gently explore it. Okay, let's give that a try.